Hello and welcome to this latest episode of the 32 Panels Podcast. This is Jake and I'm actually doing this whole episode solo this week. Uh, Sean was unavailable, so I thought I'd just do it all do it all by myself this time. Um, just to kind of go over the agenda for the day, uh, I'm just going to go quickly over some of the past results, just to touch base on how things are going in the English Premier League and some leagues around Europe. Um, and then I've got an interview with uh, a friend of mine. His name is uh, Corey Bucher. Uh, he is the head coach from Defiance College, um, their men's soccer program. So um, I will <clears throat> jump right in and just kind of do the rundown of the results of the the week from since the last episode. Um, you know, I, we uh, Sean likes to <laughs> Sean's segment uh, uh, Hoofstradamus. Uh, he uh, had predicted the FA Cup results um, and didn't do a very good job because uh, Chelsea and Arsenal both managed to win. And uh, let's see, first up was Man City versus Arsenal, and Arsenal actually surprised a lot of people by winning 2-0 over Man City. Um, I didn't catch most of that game, but I did see the Obama-Yang first goal uh, where there was quite a sequence of passes that really built up over over the the field and uh was a really exciting goal to watch and it's just kind of a uh a quote unquote vintage arsenal goal where uh there's just such great possession play um that really stretched the field and um maneuvered man city out of position and i'm sure uh arteta learned a lot from from pep guardiola being his assistant the past couple years so i'm sure pep was actually you know, not too upset conceding a gold of that caliber. Um, and the other semifinal uh, for the FA Cup, it was Manchester United really uh, laying a goose egg against uh, Chelsea. Uh, De Gea, in particular, was uh, pretty dreadful, and he can he conceded two pretty uh, soft goals. And uh, slabhead uh, Harry Maguire, he <laughs> scored an own goal later to really. Uh, put them to the sword and so the final will be i believe it is august uh august we will find it it's a it's a week after the end of the season uh so this weekend is the end of the premier league season um we'll I'll look it up later, and I'm at the end of the episode. I will uh, preview the uh, the final fixtures from the the Premier League, and we'll we'll kind of wrap up um, the game fixtures. Um, so heading into the Premier League, we saw that Norwich is the first one to bow out. Um, they very woefully uh, capitulated at Burnley, where they saw two people get sent off, and really went out with a whimper. Um, they will finish in in last place, and uh one and done for them uh also we saw bournemouth they're pretty close to teetering on the edge there uh you know on 31 points they lost to uh southampton uh 2-0 in a south coast derby um really uh disappointing from them you know they beat leicester a couple weeks ago and you thought maybe that would push them forward and and keep them up but uh i think it's just a too tall of a task at this point um Lastly, we've got Watford and Aston Villa, who, who are really the two teams fighting it out for that final um, for that final spot in the league. 
Um, so at the beginning of the weekend, Watford was ahead of Villa. Um, they were heading into a game with West Ham, and they uh, did not get the result they needed. Watford, um, they lost pretty heavily um, away from home, and uh, Watford decided that it was a good time to sack their manager, which is pretty shocking considering how he had lifted them from the foot of the table up into uh, a pretty, uh, not a comfortable position, but a, a place where they could really challenge to stay in the league. Um, there's some behind the scenes stuff that may or may not have happened. There allegedly was a, a fight with a player. Um, not sure exactly what happened on and uh, just kind of interesting to see the timing of everything go down. Um, they So they sacked Nigel Pearson um, before the Manchester City game that, that midweek um, and pretty... Uh, it was a pretty emphatic loss for them. Uh, ben Foster, the the goalkeeper, saved the PK, but then immediately conceded. You know, they immediately scored off of that. Um, and uh, Sterling got a few, and uh, it was a pretty heavy loss in the end. Um, and so at that point, Aston Villa had a chance to really save themselves, and uh, they took advantage, and um, they managed to beat Arsenal one nil um, with a pretty late goal from uh, the. Uh, the Egyptian uh, Trezeguet, um, that win um, put them up on goal difference. Uh, they have a negative 26 goal difference, which isn't great, but Watford has a negative 27 goal difference. So um, at this point, that's enough to keep them up. Um, so they've got one more game to hold on, and we'll see what happens. At the other end of the table, obviously Liverpool is still the champions. Um, Manchester City pretty solidly second, but the race for third and fourth is where all the action is happening. Um, Leicester lost to Spurs 3 0. Um, Harry Kane finally getting back on the score sheet. Um, Leicester really capitulating here since the restart. Um, they were at one point challenging Liverpool at the top of the table, but around Christmas time it was they had a couple of runs and run of games where they played Liverpool and Man City and after that kind of took the winds out of their sails and they've been sl steadily slumping down the table since then um Manchester United um obviously with they them and Chelsea had FA Cup games to worry about um but they both kind of rotated around and you know Chelsea um they managed to win their FA Cup game, and then um, midweek they they had Liverpool. But uh, you know, can't really fault them for losing to Liverpool away from home, um, five to three, which was a really exciting game. Um, however, you know, at that point, it, you know, Liverpool is Liverpool, and uh, you know, Chelsea they're in the top four at the moment, but you know, they're still fighting, and I think there's still a lot of positives for them. Manchester United a little less convinced by them um they had a chance to really grab a hold of that third place spot um they had a game against west ham and they only managed to tie one one um i believe it was a mason greenwood goal um that got them the point so as things stand manchester united's in third with 63 points and a plus 28 goal difference chelsea's in fourth with a plus 13 and leicester is in fifth on 62 points, so one point back with a plus 28 goal difference. So really could be any of those 
three, getting those final two spots um, to qualify for the Champions League. So um, on the uh, in the second division in, in England, uh, the championship, uh, they actually just wrapped up yesterday too. I'm, I'm recording on uh, Thursday. Um, so they saw um, a very familiar name jump back up. It was uh, Leeds United, uh, led by uh, the eccentric manager uh, Mar- Marcellus Bielsa, who is a uh, who is actually one of uh, Pep Guardiola's like inspirations in, in the coaching world. He's very uh, he's a very demanding and and organized tactically um, type of a manager, and he really pushes his teams to the brink on, in terms of fitness and pressing and um, oftentimes can lead to a lot of burnout, but he managed in his second season in charge to get leads back into the Premier league. They, they, they took the first spot um, West Brom. It was actually a very exciting last day of the season. They, they played QPR and managed only to tie. So that, that put them on 83 points, Brentford in third, trying to get that second uh, automatic promotion spot. They were playing Barnsley, who are down in the relegation zone at the start of the game, and managed to lose to Barnsley two to one. So with that, West Brom backs in to that second spot. Um, you know, they they didn't really have the greatest run of the form right at the end of the season, but that's enough to bring them back. So Leeds and West Brom will be back in the league starting in in the uh, in the fall. Um, Fulham also was in the mix. Uh, they were playing away at Wigan. If they had won and the results had held, they would have leaped into second place, but just couldn't get the the job done against Wigan, um, who were also fighting for their lives. Um, they had a uh, they had a twelve point deduction for administration and saw themselves go into the relegation zone. And coupled that with Barnsley's win, Barnsley jumped out of the relegation zone and relegated Wigan and and Charlton Athletic. So it was it was quite the end of the season there. There's you know, the 90th minute goal from, from Barnsley was enough to save their season and uh, really put a dent into Brentford. So um, that third uh, re- uh, promotion spot will be played out um, between the four teams of Brentford, Fulham, Cardiff, and Swansea. Swansea was also a, a pretty surprising team. Um, they were in seventh place on the final day going into it, and they beat, I believe they'd be. Um, Reading 4-1 and Nottingham Forest was in sixth and they lost to Stoke 4-1 as well. And that was enough of a goal swing that they finished level on points on 70 points, but Swansea finished one goal better on the goal difference and, and saw them jump ahead into sixth place. So it was quite the dramatic day up there. Brentford will play Swansea in the in the first semifinal um, over two legs and they'll play the winners of... Uh, the winner of Fulham versus Cardiff. So it'll be interesting to see those one of those four teams come up with uh, Leeds and West Brom next season. But um, we'll uh, last couple items. Uh, Real Madrid has won the league since last time. Um, and also uh, Juventus took a big, big leap towards getting the, the title in Serie A. So, you know, some the familiar faces of those other European leagues are, are really uh, hitting their stride at this point. And, It'll be interesting to see um, see the Champions League in a couple weeks, where uh, you know Real Madrid and 
um, Manchester City are, have a really uh, in, have a really interesting matchup against each other, and we'll see who can come out on top on that. Um, and surprise package and from the Syria um, at Atalanta, who I've been exciting to watch. Uh, they've been playing really well too. They're in third, I believe they're in second or third place in in the league. Um, not really in touching distance of Juve now, um, but play a very attacking style of play. Yeah, they're second right now. Their their goal difference is plus fifty one. They have ninety five goals in thirty five games. So that's lots of goals from them. Uh, they play a really exciting brand of soccer, uh, very attacking oriented, and some really exciting um, talents up front. And Papu Gomez and um, Ilicic. Um, and their striker Duvan Zapata. So, something for the soccer after soccer hipsters out there to to pay attention to as things um, wrap up. So, uh, without too much delay, sorry I, I kind of rambled on there for a while. Um, we'll, we will jump into the interview with Corey Booker, and I will wrap up the episode here at uh, at the end of that episode or at, at the end of the interview. So, um, I will join you guys back in a second. Welcome back to the show. This is uh, Jake. I'm running the the interview solo this week, and I'm uh, I'm lucky to have my uh, one of my friends from uh, the soccer world, uh, Corey Booker. Um, he's the head coach at Defiance College, and he's here to give us an update on how the uh, the collegiate season is uh, <laughs> shaping up and what things are happening up up in there and uh, Defiance. So, Corey, how's it going? It's going well, Jake. Uh, thanks for having me, and can't wait to talk about soccer since it's been a little uh a little dry right now with everything going on so happy to be here cool um so just to give the listeners a background um can you give us a short little bio and history of who you are and how you got to defiance yeah sure thing coaching world yeah so my background is i up until this past year i've been uh cleveland all throughout my life through and through um born there raised there I uh, went to small private uh, high school, um, kind of in the suburbs of Cleveland, um, kind of after a pretty successful high school career. Went to uh, NCAA Division II uh, up at Lake Erie College in the Menor, uh, Painesville area up in Northeast Ohio, and um, played four years of soccer there. And that's kind of where um, I had one of my buddies who I was actually living with at the time. He was two years older than me and he transitioned to a graduate assistant coach position. And that kind of got me thinking, Oh, like two years from now, this is something I would want to do. And that kind of got my kind of attentions turned to a little bit coaching my background, my education's in uh, high school education. So, I mean, teaching, that was always something I was super comfortable with. And I think coaching is just an extension of that. So then I stayed at my own mater for, four years, two years as a graduate assistant, two years as assistant coach. And I just knew the right people. Um, Defiance kind of is the school is kind of built similar to what I'm used to and what I believe in that kind of blue collar under the radar. We're going to get, get our talent, but we're going to have to work pretty hard to get there kind of way. And um, things just worked out for me. And after a uh, pretty good interview process. I think July 1st was my last, my first day last year and still here today. Year, year plus, year change <laughs> later. Um, looking forward to hopefully going into my second season um, pretty strong right now. So that's kind of my 
uh, SparkNote version of who I am and how I got here. Gotcha. Um, so how was your, your first year at Defiance? Was it, is it difficult to enter a program first year with, you know, not really getting a, a big run up to it? Yeah. I mean, if I, I tell people this all the time, if you take our record out of the year, I, I thought it was an incredible year. It was a really amazing year. Um, like I said, I got the job July 1st. So I met most of my guys August 13th, whenever move-in day was. That's the first time I'm talking to these guys, working with these guys, just because of uh, kind of restrictions throughout the off season. So um, kind of everything we did was, I guess, film study on what they did, what they were comfortable with, and how I could tweak a few things uh, that I believe in to go forward from there. And I thought we did an incredible job. If you add the record into it, I mean, we're 500 in our non-conference, 500 in conference. We were average right throughout the line. And it was an improvement. Yeah, it, it kind of was a small improvement from uh, years past. But, I mean, I'm really excited. Uh, don't lose a whole lot of through graduation. Uh, return a whole lot. And we were able to implement – um, kind of some new ideas, things that I think that could benefit the program. So it's just a lot of momentum towards year two. But all in all, through the first year, I mean, I'm still learning a lot of new things every day. But uh, I think we did come a long way, had a lot of good results, and I had a really good time doing it. So I, I was very happy with how it went. Mm-hmm. Um, now, heading into year two, um, we've seen – I think you've – have you announced all of your recruitment class, or are you still – I mean, technically, we got one, all that out. We had one kid commit today, so I mean, that's basically. I oh. think I think we're done with it now. Um, but I mean, I' pretty very happy with the recruiting class, and I mean, it's kind of different coming to a new area. I feel like I was a little bit behind um, because I think a lot of my energy during the fall did go into our current guys and how we could be successful now, and then transition into all right, how can we be successful in the future with new guys. And kind of the coronavirus happening in the spring, not being able to get some of the guys to campus that we wanted to uh, kind of hindered that a little bit. But all in all, through everything, I'm pretty happy with that first year. And if you go to our Twitter, Instagram, we got, I think, 90% of the guys' graphics are all thrown up there and stuff like that right now. Cool. And uh, just out of curiosity, like what you look for when you're recruiting players at this level? Yeah, I mean – for me right now, it, I I really – I mean, I look for, the, like, the intangibles that, like, the effort, like, how they're conducting themselves on the field, how are they holding themselves. Like, if they get fouled, are they chasing someone down? If they lose the ball, what's their reaction after it? You look for those things. Then, obviously, position by position, you look for the different things you're looking for. Like, defensively, like, I want guys that aren't afraid in the air, and when the ball's at their feet, they have the ability to play. Like, up top. I don't care what you look like. I don't care if you're five, five or six, five, how could you put the ball in the back of the net and how could you have an Im- impact on the game? So I look through all those things as well, but at the end of the day, if kids want to work hard and they have a passion for the game, I can make them fit one way or another. It might be just getting reserve minutes for two years. It might be coming in starting right away. Um, so all those where you fit is different, but I, I look for those, hardworking do you care about the game do you care about your teammates and at the end of the day we could we could find a home for you uh, as long as we're at kind of the roster number we want where we could we feel like we could give kids individual attention and help their individual growth through soccer yeah great um you know this this podcast is 
you know, focused on the Toledo soccer community. Um, I know you've got a, a couple guys from Northwest Ohio. Do you um, see yourself uh, recruiting a lot from the area or um, is it easy to find players to commit to the program if they're, they're familiar with the area? Yeah. I mean, I really want to make a strong effort to recruit. I kind of say it from Toledo to Lima, everywhere in between Fort Wayne and, and keep some good talent home uh, because I do think growing up in Northwest Ohio, like you have a lot of those intangibles, like you work hard, you do things the right way that we're looking through, it's kind of looking for in the program. Um, I will say just kind of from looking back at previous rosters and stuff, um, there's not a whole lot of like Toledo representation um, that's been throughout the roster um, in years past. So I think there's some things I have to do to break down a few walls and get people to campus and actually see like, Hey, we got all this beautiful stuff right here. Come on down and check it out and consider us an option. Um, and I've taken some steps to try and do that by getting involved in the Toledo uh, kind of club coaching community and doing things of that nature to put myself out there to help brand the program along with myself. So I definitely want to make an effort to Toledo. Let's bring some talent in. <laughs> nice. That's a good sales pitch. There you go. <laughs> Um, so, uh, getting back to how the summer's been going, you know, with the coronavirus really took out the spring season for you guys. Um, you know, what are you guys, how, how, how did you guys handle the shutdown and, you know, how do you keep it, keep the guys connected and active as they're preparing potentially for a fall season, which is, you know, to be determined whether or not it's actually happening. Right. Yeah. I mean, so I think the big thing with the coronavirus kind of change your thinking is like, how do you keep these kids connected when they're not on campus, when you can't kind of run sessions for them physically, like in the presence of them? Um, how is it when they're just doing school through online, you have them reminded, hey, you're definitely a part of something big going on here within the soccer program. So I, I was very excited about all the positive momentum we had going into it. I think kind of the off-season programs that um, – kind of threw out some, whether it's like the captain's practices that they wanted to run um, or like a group of my guys having an initiative to throw a team of 18 guys in the 11 v 11 leagues in, in Toledo, or like I, I teach a strength and conditioning class and there was a good amount of guys signed up for that. Um, there was a lot of positive steps that we had. So we just wanted to make sure how could we capitalize on the momentum that was kind of building rather than, this is a stop start and now we have to go back five steps just to go forward three more. So mm -hmm. um, I will give my assistant coach, Christian Meister, a whole lot of credit. He's kind of very like his backgrounds, exercise science, and he's very good at kind of conducting programs that, Hey, we could get the most out of our guys while keeping in mind, they might not have access to a gym. They might not have access to physical weights. So what can we give to them that, they could go outside and take advantage of it and make the most of it. Um, so we had programs like that in, in place, kind of marked out when day by day you should be doing some things. Um, the, I think the frustrating thing is uh, I probably like 90, 80% eh, of our guys, we had kind of placed within some sort of summer soccer team. Uh, my biggest thing is how can you play at the highest level possible that you're getting actual game minutes and game time because um, you could do these programs that we have for you, and that's super important. But then the day, game minutes is and game fitness is very unique to that. So, I mean, that was something that kind of with a, a lot of teams having to cancel during the summer 
Um, because of that, we just had to find other ways. How are you going to get on the ball? How are you going to keep your touches sharp? Um, so we just really had the, I think consistent communication was a big part. And like I said, from the start, it's just not letting them forget, Hey, you're connected to something here when you get back. Um, so it's just a lot of communication, a lot of checking in, a lot of group me, zoom calls, texting, phone calls, even FaceTime for the guys that really need to see my face uh, to know, all right, coach is serious. This, this is something I should do. Um, so it's just putting these programs into place and staying on the guys to make sure they're doing them. Yeah. Um, does the school have a, uh, a potential date that you would know one way or the other, you know, when fall sports might happen or, or not? So to the best of my knowledge, um, this week, I think middle of the week, um, the presidents of the colleges should be voting on um, their opinions on the newest NCAA recommendations that came out um, about um, kind of what the fall would look like. They would recommend for it to look like if schools were to go ahead with the fall season. Um, so essentially, NCA is said like conferences, schools, they can make their own decisions on playing, but here's our guidelines. And a lot of the things kind of fall into place. Um, like, okay, we could do that. We could do that. But the big one now is testing that they recommend uh, getting COVID testing done a lot. So that's something that schools, I think overall are going back and forth on if it's financially feasible to allow to happen. Um, so I think the middle of the week is really what I'm hearing um, and this is being done, what, the 20th, I think, today of July. So uh, mm -hmm. like around the 22nd, 23rd is when I'm hoping um, to kind of have some more concrete answers. Because um, right now things are still up in the air for us and definitely a, a lot of other conferences throughout Division Three, Division Two, even Division One. I, I think. Gotcha. Um, and we've seen some schools have already, you know, preemptively canceled their, their seasons. I, I think Kenyon and case Western already went ahead and did that in the, the D3 level, you know, and potentially there's some schools that are interested in, you know, flipping the spring sports with the fall sports to give, you know, give a little bit more cushion for some of these contact sports, like, you know, football and soccer some time so that things might calm down. Um, do you guys think that that's a possibility that, you know, some of the spring sports like, you know, tennis, in baseball, you know, they're not in contact and might be, you know, safer for them to go back rather than having contact sports yeah. in the fall. Yeah. If you ask my like personal opinion, like I think, I think it's a great idea. The spring and fall switch in theory. Um, it's kind of the biggest thing with the coronavirus though, is I think every day is an unknown. So everything could sound good in theory, but at the end of the day, like, do we really know what tomorrow is going to look like? So I think if you were asking me this, I don't know, April 1st on, Hey, like if this is going to look this way in July, should spring and fall switch, I would say hundred percent, we should get on this right away just to have something concrete in place. So baseball, softball, tennis, the kind of less contact sports between athletes could go ahead and maybe it'll give us some time. The footballs and the soccer's of the world to have in the spring, go back to I don't want to say as normal as possible because I do think a lot of things um, this has changed things um, just how we think about health and safety um, and it will continue to kind of motivate our decision making and how we go about things. Um, 
But because today is July 20th, I think it's going to be really difficult to switch fully uh, fall and spring mm. sports at the college level um, just based on preparation, trying to get scheduling figured out, trying to get busing figured out, um, umpires, all those types of things. I think it will be a little bit hurried, but at the end of the day, that's just one person's kind of opinion on things, mm-hmm. and we'll see uh, what the NCAA wants to come out and, and say on that matter officially. Okay, gotcha. And then do the does the soccer program have a potential, you know, what date would you guys be back on campus to potentially prepare for a, a fall season? Yeah. I mean, as of today, we plan on moving day is August 8th and 9th with practices starting up August 10th, which is probably like two wow. weeks from now. <laughs> and um, that is earlier than usual. And part of that is the NCAA, kind of allowed earlier move-in date to one make up for something like the spring and summer lack of conditioning to make sure the guys bodies are in healthy positions to compete at the highest level Um, but also to kind of correlate with the cdc guidelines of um, kind of the introduction back to campus phasing policies Um, so if our our first contest wouldn't be until september 7th at the earliest which i foresee being pushed back as well um, but because we'd be here a month, that would allow us to kind of phase in uh, with our own team, um, just kind of taking all everyone who's at home and kind of getting them back on campus. And by the time we start competing with outside competition, um, hopefully we'll be all under control, aware of everything going on with our within our own campus and team, um, being able to compete. So as of today, that is still the plan. Um, We'll see how that might change um, come this week. And just with MLS and some of these, you know, NBA are coming back. You know, they they picked a, a bubble campus. You know, at Disney World, uh, World of Sports. Um, you know, where they could come in, isolate for you know a week or whatever to get tested and con- you know get the control. You know, for the group. And it seems to have worked, but, you know, a college campus, or you can't really seal it off like a, you know, right. like the hotels are down in, in, in Florida. Um, you know, is there some sort of protocol that, you know, once they're on campus that they're supposed to kind of cluster together and not not venture out as much? Or is how do, how do you how do you keep keep the outside world from? you know, penetrating into the, the group setting. Yeah. And, and I mean, it, we, there are things in place and I'll talk about them, but you gotta, at the end of the day, you're keeping in mind, these are 18 to 22 year old kids who are going to do 18 to 22 year old things at the end of the day. And so we are going to have things in place, like on, on campus housing about maximum amount of people within a dorm and things of that nature. But kids will want to hang out with their friends. They want, will want to do stuff. So that's going to come from the coaching staff on the way down just saying, and I mean, you see all the stuff on social media about um, people posting things like, hey, if you want to have a season, wear a mask. If you want to have a season, do this. <laughs> so it's just going to come down to us doing those things. Um, but, I mean, I mean, we're going to have policies in place. Like if you're in the locker room, you have to, be ha- you have, to have a mask on. If you are – like before – Every practice right now, they're probably going to have to do um, a temperature check and kind of record it into an app 
um, for our staff and for athletic staff, uh, athletic training staff to kind of monitor temperature checks. And temperature checks are going to be mandatory um, before facing outside competition three days before games. Um, so kind of up and running up until those games, it's going to be on the coaches a little bit more to check some temperatures because I don't know about you, but if I was a 21-year-old <laughs> kid who had a big game the next day and my temperature was a little higher than it should and no one's checking it, I know what I'm going to say to try and play that game. Um, so these are things that it has to be monitored by the coaching staff thinking, hey, this isn't – I get you're competitive. I get these are all these – the emotions going through your body. They want to play these games, but you got to think about the best interest of our program, other programs, everyone going out there. And if there's a risk, we just can't, we can't chance risks at this point in time with so many unknowns out there. Um, so there will be things in place and it's just going to come down to our coaching staff kind of, and there's going to be other people on campus kind of making sure it mm-hmm. gets um, kind of done to the best of the ability. Um, as well. Um, but we really from top down, you just got to set the precedent of it's going to be different. It's not going to be what you're used to, but if you want to go out there and kick the ball and do what you love to do, it's got to be done. Gotcha. Well, some of those things that you're, you're talking about, like the temperature checks, you know, it sounds like some of these things might be useful going forward just in general. Um, even if, you know, things were to, you know, kind of get under control, it would, you know, some of these measures are applicable going into the future, um, the quote unquote new normal. So right. it's interesting to hear these, you know, hear the measures that are needing to be taken um, to even have a, a season and all the extra stuff that, you know, falls on the coaching staff that, you know, you would never have imagined, you know, six months ago, well, six months to a year ago now yeah um, believe me with with with, uh the coaching staff (laughs) and the coaching positions when it has in your job description other duties as assigned they'll get creative with the other duties as assigned and apparently uh (laughs) the world wanted to get creative with it so it's just it's just another thing another thing to do and we just do it to the best of our abilities because at the end of the day we're trying to give these kids the best experience possible and soccer is a big part of these uh boys experience within the program so um, I know kind of not having a spring season, believe me, it's not at the level as like baseball, softball, tennis, track seniors who had that taken away their last year of eligibility. At least we got to have our fall season in. Um, but we still did get to have that spring time taken away from us where it was important for us to grow as a program. And um, they're really fired up to get back on the field. So I think they understand the precautions that are in place and that it's, really important to do them and we just hope for the best now and do what we can so nice um so on on the one hand you've got a uh, global pandemic happening in the world right now and then also there's been a lot of you know social unrest um surrounding the george the george floyd murder in minneapolis and um a lot of uh, black athletes and mls have been making some noise to try to better the conditions in the soccer world. Um, you know, as a coach at the collegiate level, are you guys um, having conversations about what should be done um, to help better the situation for players of color? Or, you know, are there um, discussions with, you know, the players to better address these, these issues? You know, soccer is, 
often viewed as a very white suburban sport um and it get, kind of gets a bad rap you know in, in u.s soccer versus you know the global game is very multicultural diverse and has players from all sorts of backgrounds you know race or socioeconomic factors and you know as a as a coach do you guys talk about about this as a team and as a coaching staff? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it is super important right now going on in the world. And I mean, something that I think I connected with, with defiance and kind of my upbringing and where I went to school and where I played was I, I'm very used to diverse communities and um, like growing up in my high school, it was very much kind of 50, 50 African-American white. So I saw, and I learned so much more about like different cultures and things of that nature than I did I don't know, preschool through eighth grade going into that. So, I mean, high school really opened up my eyes to that. So I was at least exposed to a lot of different things. And um, so this is, it's the same way with our program right now. We have a very, whether it's white, African-American, Hispanic, we have a very diverse background. So, I mean, it was important for me kind of when all this was starting to go on, just to have communication with the guys, kind of talk to them about how they're feeling about different things going on. Um, and just kind of allowing people to be open to the possibility of being educated and learning more. And uh, I don't think anyone fully understands another person's perspective. Like you could say all you want, put, put me in your shoes and how would you feel? But you don't know until you're in actual that person's shoes. So it's just important to learn, understand, and listen. I think listening is a big part of it. And I mean, something that's for me at Defiance College especially important is, I don't know, Jake, if you know this, but uh, Defiance College was on the news uh, probably about whenever the Kaepernick, um, like that situation kind of came out. Oh, when he um, because, yield, yeah. Yeah, because a bunch of, like a, a few football players did it at uh, one game and it got over the news and all these different kinds of things. Um, so these are conversations I'm going to have with my guys, but if we end up like you see in the MLS games, you see in the English games, if they want to take a need for it's just awareness and to kind of promote that black lives matter and to get that message across that we have to communicate that message first. Cause I think, and I've heard my, our football coach actually talk about it before. Um, even though he wasn't the coach there at the time, the big thing was whether it's the community, whether whoever it was, even the coaching staff, like nobody knew it was coming and nobody even within the players doing it really knew what they were standing for. Um, so I think mm -hmm. it's something that I want to talk to my guys about when they get back saying, if you would want to do something, it's something that the full team has to be involved in and we have to communicate what it's for. Um, I would never want to disrespect America, the national anthem, anything like that. Like you could ask, I was the guy wearing American flag socks for good luck to away games when I was a player. I'm as patriotic as it gets uh, on that on that sense, and I love my country and where I'm born. Um, but these are the, – the conversations and awareness still has to increase. And um, if our team feels strongly about it and thinks that we could impact um, positively on the awareness side of things, whether it's just one guy or um, thousands of people um, – that's something, as long as we communicate it in the right way, um, I'm all for our team kind of promoting awareness uh, on that on that front. 
That sounds great. Um, you know, getting ahead of it and really having a conversation about, you know, the, the significance of the, the gesture and, you know, getting everyone on the same page rather than, you know, having something pop up and having to explain it to their teammates and all that. It sounds like you're getting, you're doing things in the, in the right way and um, addressing things um, properly, I guess. So um, I guess uh, last couple questions. Um, So are you you said you were working in the uh the club game here in, in Toledo did you you were with Toledo Celtics is that right yeah that's correct okay have you have you been how has that been for you it's been positive I mean the I'm a big kind of fan of the, the club soccer game and what it could do and especially as a college coach I think a big part of my recruiting pitch is I am selling myself and what I believe in as a coach and who I am as a coach and um, kind of everything that goes into that. So I think a big thing is getting me in a community like Toledo where I want to heavily recruit from and letting kids, families, other coaches, club directors know who I am and what I'm all about. So this was kind of an awesome first step in the right direction, just getting to work with um, kind of kids from high schools that I haven't been super familiar with, meeting some coaches, talking to them about their high school players, Um kind of I mean my the club director at Celtics and uh, the other coaches there have a wealth of connections that um, they've met throughout the years who they introduced me with um, and it's kind of even things like like I play pickup Sunday Monday league soccer with you and meeting people through that mm-hmm. outlet like I just really want to throw myself into the soccer community be like hey I'm here this is what I'm all about I hope that I could have a positive relationship with you and hopefully that trickles down into um, kind of guys from the area wanting to come to school, get their education and play for me. And it just keeps on continuing to trickle down and have a positive effect. Nice. So um, I guess for people who are looking to learn more about you, um, is there a way that they can follow you like social media or um, other ways that they, they can, uh, keep following you as you uh as things progress this fall yeah absolutely um on kind of social media a lot of the stuff we promote is through the team account so um kind of on twitter it's dc men's soccer i'm very fortunate that with all the dc probably colleges out there that we got the dc (laughs) men uh men's soccer twitter handle and then instagram it's dc men's soccer 20 for 2020 um, so, I mean, we'll post a lot of different things. Like I said, the recruit graphics, kind of things that we have going on, game recaps, starting lineup, starting 11 pictures, all those kind of things that people like to see, graphics. Um, so we post those all throughout. Um, and then my kind of personal Twitter handle, um, so my name's Corey Buker, so C to the Buke. Um, that was kind of a nickname I had growing up, and I didn't want to get your just generic Coach Corey or Coach Buker twitter handle so c-t-o-t-h-e-b-e-w-c on twitter it's mine is open so uh people could follow it people i tweet about liverpool soccer some music stuff i don't know any kind of competition stuff um that's all open for kind of people to follow me on personally as well if they want to get to know me better and uh you know one of the, the things that's big at the the full 90 pub um, is, you know, following the Premier League. Do you have a favorite Premier League 
team. Yeah, or... mine's mine's Liverpool, and I don't want to hear the uh, coach like you just. <laughs> I get it from my guys all the time. Coach, you're just a front runner because they've only known me for a year. I I tell them, listen, I started liking Liverpool because I mean, as you know, like soccer wasn't the most televised game in U.S. Like especially when I was growing mm-hmm. up and. Um, kind of something that was always on TV was the World Cup. So I remember the, like the first like vividly where I sat down and watched every single game and planned my life around it was uh, the South Africa World Cup. So like the first day of games, there's this dude running around like crazy scoring goals for Uruguay. And I'm like, I'm following this guy. Like this guy's awesome. He's scoring goals. He's playing with passion. He's doing all these things like I, I want to pick up on him. So it's Luis Suarez. And then that summer he gets sold to Liverpool and I'm like, all right, I'm all about this team. Like I was familiar with Stevie G, Steven Gerrard, because we have the same birthday. And like I, I wore number four, like he did for England. I thought that was super cool. Um, so then I kind of engulfed myself in the culture. So I tell my guys, like I had to watch Andy Carroll and Ricky Lambert just lump around up top for <laughs> I don't know how long. So let me enjoy my my kind of time in the sunshine right now. So I, I'm a big Liverpool guy on that front. Awesome. Well, I, I know there's a, I believe there's a Liverpool chapter um, in the Toledo area now. Um, I, I'm trying to get them on the podcast here in the future, but um, yeah, I'm pretty sure there's going to be a fan chapter here locally so you have to get in touch with those guys eventually but <laughs> yeah they're probably they're probably really good people so i i, I would I'd love to get, <laughs> yeah. get talking with them about all the good things happening right now nice all right well um i can let you go um thanks again for hopping on the podcast with me and uh i'll be finishing out the episode here after the break. awesome thanks jake thanks for having me appreciate it Welcome to the final segment of the uh, the episode. I will be, this is Jake again, uh, still flying solo. So I will be as quick as I can, um, just highlight some of the, uh, the, the games for the weekend that everyone should be paying attention to. Um, obviously the big one uh, is the, um, it'll be Manchester United versus Leicester. Um, that'll be the big game that really decides the, uh, the final team for the top four. Um, both teams um, really need the win to really ensure that they're up there. Um, Manchester United um, could probably do with a draw to and, and really hold on, but Leicester being at home, obviously they'll be up for it. So um, the other big game at the top will be Chelsea versus Wolverhampton. Um, Wolves have been a, a really tough team this year, and they're close to the uh, um, top European spots, but uh, Chelsea really need to make sure that they get the job done at home to make sure they get the top four this year. So um, other than that, um, obviously there's a pretty damn squib of a game between Man City and Norwich, uh, Newcastle, Liverpool. Um, The other important games for the relegation zone, um, Everton play Bournemouth. Um, Can't really... Bournemouth are pretty much down. They take a real miracle um, and goal difference swing to really save them at this point. Um, Arsenal play Watford at the Emirates, so that'll be a really tough game for Watford to get up. You know, get a, uh, any sort of result from um, the way Arsenal's playing. They're going to want to make sure that they have a good 
final tune-up match before the FA Cup final, which will really determine if they get a European spot or not. Um, and lastly, Aston Villa is away at West Ham. West Ham's been doing pretty well lately. Uh, a couple wins and a draw away at um, Manchester United, um, obviously beating Watford uh, pretty handily. Um, saw them in, in a good position and saved them from relegation for the year. So um, Aston Villa... West Ham, Watford, Arsenal, and that Leicester-Manchester United game are really the the key games to be tuning and switching back and forth between. So um, with that, I think I'll, I'll kind of end the episode. Um, feel free to uh, reach out to us if you have any uh, ideas or comments about the show. Um, you can find us on Facebook at the 30, 32 Panels Podcast. Um, just feel free to um, engage with us any suggestions that you have and uh, we'll, we're definitely willing to uh, entertain any of this. So uh, with that, I will uh, end the episode and I will hopefully Sean uh, and I will be back at it here in the next week or so with a, with another guest. So thanks for listening and tune in next time.